0: Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. i'm rebecca roberts hi
1: i'm harriet small welcome to have
0: you got five minutes the pr comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office
1: hi rebecca how are
0: you hi harriet i'm good how are you i'm
1: not too bad yeah getting used to this weather
0: (laughs) i've got sunshine today so i'm just i'll just avert my camera but yeah the north for once midlands north has a bit of sunshine so i'm pretty smoke But you've had enough the past few weeks, so let's not talk about it.
1: (laughs) So I've been thinking recently, and I don't know whether it's pandemic fatigue or it is just me thinking about the future, which I have to do in life because I haven't got a rich husband or anything. But I think I'm stuck in a bit of a rut in terms of career progression and sort of what's the next challenge am I actually doing with my life kind of thinking. And I'm stuck whether it's burnout, lack of ambition or it's pandemic fatigue, and actually, there's nothing for me to worry about.
0: Do you know, like, we talked about that whole brain fog, didn't we, around, like, pandemic, and I've been seeing quite a few things on social about, like, just a lack of motivation, like, things are opening up again, okay, some people doing holidays and kind of getting some things back on track, but I do think there is this kind of weird limbo land we've kind of been in because of the pandemic so I do think there is that it's like a motivation but I do think it's pandemic related because especially for people you know you've worked throughout it's not like you've been like off for big chunks of time so I think that people are just suddenly feeling like they've just been kind of keeping going for a long time and not had the space to kind of think about much further in the future it's always been like just a few weeks you know just a few months and I don't think people have had that space yet so I kind of feel like you should give yourself a break or get a rich husband I mean one or one or the other Harriet
1: I mean I can't even get a normal husband so now I'm gonna get a rich one I think part of it is also FOMO you know when you see people being like quit your nine to five work for yourself and all this and I love my nine to five like well I I can work for myself and I have in the past done other things for myself I'm not saying I can't be self-employed or do side hustles what I am saying is I don't know whether I could do that on a permanent basis and whether that dream of going off and doing something like starting my own agency is, is really something that I I want to do right now. I guess it is partly that lack of ambition because even when like recruiters contact me for a job and I know I'm, I'm ha- very happy where I am because I know my boss and my boss's boss since this podcast, so yeah, I'm not asking to be sacked. But um, when recruiters contact me for like a senior job, so like a head of comms job or they'll contact me like for a a promotion in terms of like a higher internal comms job i'm just like yeah i'm not yet there and then when i speak to other people they're like yeah you're there or about changing into another type of sector so like um there's been a couple of jobs that have come up in like different sectors so for example i think we talked about this you know with the arsenal job where i was joking i said if my brother sees this he's going to be he's going to apply on my behalf and even like the job at the rfu doing the marketing for the women's team like i'm not very good at marketing on that side but it's just that thing of people saying, oh try this try that and you're sort of like no i'm happy where i am
0: i was talking about this very subject because i knew it was coming up on the podcast literally last night and we were talking about like career changes and job changes and like push pull factors so you're saying like sometimes when you you leave a job it's because of a push factor like you hate your boss you kind of fed up with the organization something's happened you're just feeling fed up And then there's pull factors like to a sector, to a job that's amazing, whatever. And I just think at the moment, the push-pull factors to change and do stuff, unless you have those really strongly, I don't think people, I think, you know, if you're okay and happy, like there is this kind of like status quo, everything's been such a strange 18 months. I think a lot of people probably stay where they are unless there is a real push or pull either way. So it could just be that. It could just be you don't have that push pull yet and also we've been talking before about like where next with comms like i just feel there's been like this marathon for a lot of teams just to kind of either run small campaigns to do with covid kind of get back in the office it's almost like not a normal work year in terms of the workflow as well so i think the next hopefully next six months you kind of get into steady patterns and then you can kind of see like i can kind of see where this job's going like who could have predicted the past kind of 18 months of work like no one could have so it's really hard to even like assess your own current workload because it's just yeah it's just not it's still not normal we're still not okay
1: maybe we'll just bring some more guests on here and i'll just keep asking them for advice
0: so sort my motivation and my job aspirations out please
1: yeah just need more guests to come here and give me advice on my um my dilemmas
0: or we'll just do a call in for like future husbands like come on harriet use your platform (laughs) This week we're joined by Faduma Olo, social media editor for Telegraph Women's Sport. A former footballer, she's also worked as a social worker, been involved in a number of school sport programmes with the Youth Sport Trust, co-hosted a podcast called I Think She's Offside and written for the likes of Gal-dem and now The Telegraph, bringing underrepresented voices from BME communities in sport to the forefront. Thanks so much for coming on today.
2: Thanks, thanks for having me.
0: There's a quote I heard you mention and Harriet's going to love this because she's obsessed with rugby. A piece she did with BT Sport for Black History Month where you talk about your experience of growing up in the UK, having moved here when you were about 11 from Denmark and you mentioned a quote from English rugby player Hugo Monnier which is the hardest thing you can do in life is just be yourself you notice there was not as many women certainly black women and black women wearing a hijab in sport so being yourself in sport you decide to kind of hit that straight on tell us about that uh, when it came to developing your voice and working in the industry
2: yeah I think from like really early on it's one of those things that you know from the community I've always grown up in whether it was Denmark or whether it was like here in Slough it's always been really diverse so I just assume diversity to be normal like I just i I'd never thought otherwise and it was only when I started to go out and do stuff you know I started a development program with the youth sport trust which is all about going out and meeting other young people and meeting my peers in sports and physical activity and obviously with that I traveled to lots of different parts of the country and I was like oh you know maybe not every school is like the one I go to in Slough and not every town is like the one I lived in in Denmark so in that sense I learned a lot and I was like off the back of that I think I realized that you know sometimes you go to a place and you won't be you'll just stand out from just showing up having not spoken having not said anything you'll just automatically stand out so it was kind of like I don't know just kind of get on with the thing in that sense but I I think I learned so more that through sports and physical activity and in the networks i've in i kind of learned to develop a bit more resistance and a bit more resilience towards i guess what people say or people think in that way and then really use i guess the skills that you learn really early on to kind of develop your character and really just you know stick true to i guess how you are in that sense
0: and you've been in several involved in several programs and opportunities with youth sport trust and national children's charity and that's how we've met how did being involved with yst open up opportunities and do you think in general more organizations should be looking at how they can offer opportunities young people particularly in sectors which are underrepresented
2: yeah no absolutely I, I always look back at my time at YST like to be incredible amazing you know I moved here when I was 11 years old and I joined I guess the first YST programme when I was about 15 so in a sense at that point I probably i spent most of my life in Denmark and only some of my life in the UK so I was still getting accustomed to a lot of things and a lot of different ways of, I guess of, of living like Denmark when I grew up in Denmark it was a very outdoorsy like you know lifestyle like, like I did loads of sporting activities the day was based around me being outside and doing stuff outside and when I moved here it wasn't necessarily like that so being part of something like the Youth Sport Trust was really good on I guess challenging and building your confidence I wasn't and I'm still not the most, like, academic person. I think a lot of the things that I struggled with early on from, like, when I first arrived here at 11, I still struggle with now, which is, like, you know, I'm dyslexic, I hate writing, but I'm a journalist, which makes no sense. But um, I learned a lot of skills from, like, the useful Trust, and I learned not everybody's strengths lie in the same thing, that, you know, I had a strength in, you know, working in the community and, and helping or working with my peers and, like, doing stuff, which is a bit more activity-led and people-led. And to identify that skill or to have someone point that skill out to you when you're 15, and then they work to harness that skill for you is, I think, is so important because a lot of people just don't get such an opportunity. And I'm so fortunate that I had that, and I still continue to have that. Like 10 years on, and I always say something like the Youth Sport Trust or my role as a youth worker as an ex it's Not like you know, funding for projects like that are usually two, three years, but it's kind of like it's a 10-year project when you invest in a child when they're like 12, 13, 14 because you're not going to get the turnaround straight. You're going to get the turnaround like you know, in 10, 15 years time when they decide to stay in the field or when they decide to continue doing some of the things they learn at that age so I guess it just shows that if you have a lot of patience and perseverance with young people like you know you see the fruits of your efforts at some point eventually. And now that you're at Telegraph Women in
1: Sport do you feel the conversation is continuing to evolve around women's sports?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Telegraph is the only newspaper to have a dedicated women's sports desk, which I guess some people say this is like, you know, the woke culture gone a bit too far, which I'm just like, no, it's kind of just bringing uncomfortable conversations to the forefront of every article, every, I don't know, online broadcast everything is kind of making sure that women's stories are out there every single day and that it's not dependent on just the Olympics or the women's Euros or the World Cup or, you know, the Women's Rugby World Cup. Like it it should be something that is there every single day. So I yeah, I thoroughly enjoy working at the Telegraph and I find that a lot of my colleagues are at the forefront of me really getting these stories out. The biggest example being like, you know, at the minute with 18 year old Emma at Wimbledon and getting a lot of backlash because she, you know, retired out of injury. And it's like, you know, for a woman it does why do you have to suffer extra to justify, you know, the same level of injury anyone else at. so yeah it's great to be in a team where those kind of conversations continue to happen on a daily basis and that is not just driven by I guess once every four year event or once a year event.
1: Yeah I agree with you on that I think part of my frustration in rugby especially about the women's sport is that you only ever see the media coverage around the big matches and that's every so often so all the rest of the year there's complete silence and credit to the rfu they are i think the the recruitment should be in train right now but the recruitment for somebody to do the marketing for the women's team is going on so that's That's good. So, you've written on issues such as the hijab ban in certain sports, online abuse, athletes managing Ramadan within elite sport. How have you found pitching these kind of stories to publications?
2: Yeah, I find them quite all right to pitch. I've never had a problem pitching anything in that sense. And I I also think this is why diversity is so important in the workplace. Is like, you know, you need those diverse range of experiences, you need those diverse ranges of thought because. I always say to people, diversity doesn't just come in, like, skin colour. It comes in, like, thoughts and experiences and, you know, the journeys that people have gone through or, you know, what they believe in or what they don't believe in. Like, that's where diversity comes from. And you need those stories when things come around. So, yeah, the story on the three, that you know, the WSL or well, West Ham, they currently don't because they've lost one player, but they did have, I guess, the most Muslim players in their team and they are all observing the month of Ramadan. And it was like, it was a huge moment in Premier League football, but unbeknownst to so many people, like, again, women's sports was not, not on their radar. It's like, well, it's also happening in women's sports. And it's a credit to them for, for talking about it and feeling like that, you know, West Ham have really supported them to come out and speak about, I guess, their faith and what's so important to them. And then I guess similarly with the hijab ban, it's like, you know, I'm thankful that I, I guess I've got a platform where I can, Share these things and things like with the hijab, and it's something that I guess affected me as a young child, and now seeing that in reverse, like you know, when I'm a lot older, I feel like, oh, this is a bit mad that you know the same conversation is still happening like ten years later. Like, how's that even possible? And again, it's it's the whole thing of women being left behind because you know women are visible you know they're visible in their religiousness in their muslimness or like the the way that muslim men aren't so the fact that the french national team can have six muslim men and Paul pogba can bring the world cup home and nobody says anything but on the same in the same country like you know that women cannot wear hijab from a grassroots level all the way up to elite level that's like completely insane so it's great to be able to share and promote these pieces but yeah i've never really ever had a problem pitching these pieces i actually feel like if anything newsroom are in desperate needs of these pieces because They just don't have the voices to share these pieces. And sometimes they need to have direct experience or at least be able to relate to the community to share those pieces.
0: I think you're right. And I I think there's that story, you just feel like that, you would hope in retrospect that people look back and go isn't that crazy that that was like a ban or you couldn't do that and I felt really angry when I saw that FINA decision around swimming caps for black swimmers last week and there's not been like an official statement I'm like it just feels so backwards but I guess unless it's affecting you directly as an athlete or you know you're not champing and shouting about it so I think it's really important you're, you're right that diversity in the workplace but also you know both sides for like the sports to pitch those stories athletes to be able to speak up will be given a platform to speak up and I think like I hope more newspapers like Telegraph kind of recognize that and start investing in like women's sections because a lot of people are like oh it's you know you're you're trying to keep it separate but I think you do need that platform because otherwise you just get consumed with like the football pages so I think having a specific women's area is important
2: yeah and it's just a, it's like I think the, the one example is I always feel like you know when you see those mad things I'm like there's definitely no women involved in this process because it's like and the
0: language as well that was used in that quote the, the initial quote was like um it doesn't follow the natural um headline line i'm like wow okay and they're talking about afro hair and then so it's like in your language you could it's almost like you're saying black people cannot be elite swimmers in the way that you phrase that like think about what what else is that message about like it's mental
2: and and there was a similar thing with the when the ioc decided that you know that no athletes athletes weren't allowed to bring anyone with them to the gaze but that was and by saying that you automatically excluded like you know nursing mums and then you know there's a gb archer who has spent the last six months like you know freezing her breast milk and she's got like a freezer full of breast milk in preparation for her leaving her daughter and the IOC have decided last week that oh no you can bring your daughter with you but it's like like the games start a week or two weeks from now like and she's been freezing breast milk for the last couple of months like how have you now decided to go back on the answer and how do you expect people to suddenly have the space for that you know Alex Morgan who's a really well-known US women's national team player said the same thing she was like I've never been without my daughter now a week before the games you're telling me oh the ISE will decide when it's necessary to bring a child like how do you know when it's necessary for a mum to bring their child so I think sometimes you get that with women's sports that they're left out of the conversations or the t- decisions around them and then that's obviously when any well, a lot of the governing bodies end up putting out statements that they actually have absolutely no idea about and it's like you clearly consulted no woman in this process
0: yeah agreed.
2: and you're kind of like coming up with something
0: we actually talked to Florence Lloyd-Hughes on the first season of this podcast and she shared some of her experience of online trolling she found almost exclusively when she's reporting on male sports so do you think more needs to be done for women working in sports communications and journalism like more broadly
2: yeah i think so like you know i'm really good friends with Flo, and i completely respect her for coming out and talking about because it's not easy you know it's literally it's your workplace essentially like you're coming into your workplace and you're getting harassed and abused there and like no one's batting an eyelid it. it would never happen anywhere else but some but somehow sports women or people that work in sports have to have tough skin or they have to you know that's part of the parcel of the job and it's like well that's nope that does definitely wasn't an extra box in the job description like that's completely unnecessary so yeah no I completely rate her coming out and talking about it because it's completely insane but yeah no people need to definitely do a lot more and I think this whole I guess, an analogy of saying, oh, you know what, it's just an online comment, or it's just, you know, you need to have a bit more thick skin, or this is part and parcel of being a journalist. Well, no, it, it's not. Like, you know, journalism is subjective. I have no issue with someone not liking what I've written because that's perfectly fine. But for that to turn into online abuse and harassment, that's going above and beyond and that's like something that shouldn't be on at all
1: you've really grown your career through passion in sport and and developing content that you believe in what advice would you have for other people who maybe always wanted to do a podcast or a blog around something that they're passionate about
2: um i think you just gotta like i guess just do it like not really think so much about the practicalities of it because i swear to god like if you listen to my first ever podcast, like i'm pretty sure the sound and like the visuals just weren't it, like in sync, like you, you person looks like they're talking, and the voice doesn't really come on until like thirty seconds later. Like it's so badly edited. But it was kind of like you learn, like you know, you learn as you go along. You, you YouTube a few things, you learn some shortcuts, you build the skills for those kind of things. I think you just got to show. I think as long as you've got like you know the determination and the perseverance, and I guess the passion for it, skills are something you can naturally develop over time. So definitely take that enthusiasm and just do whatever you want with it and, and i don't look at people's end product because you know everyone starts with a really bad podcast everyone starts with a really bad logo and a really bad name and it eventually builds to something it doesn't no one really starts the finished product and i wouldn't even say i'm a finished product now like i i know in a lot of ways that there's so many things that i want to do in my career and so many things that i'm yet to do and so many things i feel like i'm so far off so yeah i think it's just one of those where you just got to keep going with it and seeing how it goes
1: thanks for joining
0: us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes we're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you so dm us on social or get in touch with harriet at comsovercoffee.com or myself rebecca at threadandfable.com
1: if you enjoy the podcast please do rate review subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us find us on twitter at rebecca
0: seven or at harriet's mozzie Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.